0: So it'll be quiet. Um, morning, how's everybody? Hope everybody's well. Um, I sound very nasally, and that is because I'm in the epilogue of a of a just a really like platinum level sinus infection. Like the, I, I got the good model, you know. We I don't, our our family was sick for like 67 years last month, and um, uh, it's on December the 15th. Uh, I took Jack and Caleb to the doctor, and Jack had flu, B, and strep, like they do. Uh, Caleb had RSV. And so I got we got home, nurse daddy, and on Sunday morning, I woke up, and the first thing I did, like I, I have a bottle of water, I drank it, and I was like, man, that didn't feel good. And I looked, and I saw the white splotches, like, great, strep, you know, I've had it before. And went and got the antibiotic, and got it knocked out, and then Alicia goes down, which... A nursing mother with a newborn and flu is really awesome. Um, And then she got like an ear infection. Wednesday, the Wednesday of that week, Anna has that look in her eyes. And we thought, oh gosh, she had a high temp. Took her to the doctor. She's sitting in my lap, right? And i 'm making it nurse daddy i'm batting a thousand I'm not sick, you know i'm making it and uh, so so she 's in my lap like this, she sort of straddled me sitting, and the receptionist asked me a question and i and I turned to look and and as I turned my head back, it coincided with a perfect sneeze from her beautiful little face, and it all landed right here in my nose and my mouth, and I thought that's going to be retrospectively very significant and and uh, the day after that. Chills started, so then I got the flu, and and it's passed. But there was a sinus infection, so that's why I sound the way I sound. God has been so good, though. Nobody was really sick. Uh, we know people who had the same stuff, who had kids in the hospital. So God's been very, very good. Um, uh, we don't get sick as a family, but when we do, uh, we it it's, it it really it really sits down. So, but anyway, we're coming out of the fog. God is good. So. Um, well, want see, if you have your Bibles, uh, it's in the bulletin. Um, go to, please, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, I am, if you are visiting, um, I do preach sort of on an intermittent basis here, and, I'm, and I am currently preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, and when Grant asked me to do this, I thought I would just keep going. Um, and I was prepping it, and i, I don 't want to sound weird. it just never i 've got it ready for the next time. I guess it just i know we don 't go on feelings, but it just it just didn 't just didn't feel like what that was what I was supposed to do this time. Um, New Year's was coming, uh, I was seeing all of the all of the things about resolutions and, and, and letting twenty-three go and um and what what sort of flipped it, I was I was sitting on the couch shivering, praying for death, and um and, and I saw there was this there was this there was this little news clip and, and it said, you know, you know, this is the year of your clean slate. And I thought, okay, alright, there's a sermon there. Um, so, uh, as Alistair Begg said one time, you know, uh, the good thing about preaching intermittently is, is, you, is you sometimes can... He said, somebody told him one time, I was like, Begg, you, you sort of use the text as a trampoline. Um, I really could have used several texts for this, uh, because what I want to do today is recalibrate us. Um, this is the first sermon preached at Faith in 2024. Um, very, uh, you know, bad judgment call on Grant to, to let me do it. But um, uh, because it is the new year, because it is um, uh, the first sermon, I just want to recalibrate us for what we believe. And that to remind us that the gospel is not just for people outside the church. It's for people inside the church. The gospel is not just for sinners that are not Saved, who need to be saved. The gospel is for sinners, you and me, that are saved and Christians. It is very present and real for us um, in the midst of this um, cesspool of the present evil age that we live in. So, let's look at this. This is Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll uh, unpack the realities of this. Um, And I, when I came to you, brothers, uh, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to um, be in this pulpit and preach your word. Um, Father, I, as I pray every time, there's not a man in the room who struggles to believe what I'm about to preach. Um, I, am, I, am a, I am a sinner. I am, a, uh, I am bent towards self-justification. I'm bent towards saving myself. I need to hear this more than anybody in the room. So I ask you as I pray every time, come thou fount of every blessing, tune our hearts and minds to see and savor something new of your amazing grace. Father, I pray that your law will expose our sin, that your law will crush us, that your law will take away from us any. Delusion that we are capable of saving ourselves or doing life or, or meeting your demands or loving as we should. But I pray, Father, that after that is done that, that your gospel will give us wings, that your gospel will set us free again, that you will help us to leave here feeling lighter as we go out into this week and into this year we pray these things and ask them in Jesus name. Amen. So as I said, I, I saw this, This I called this resolution. Uh, New Year's resolutions are a big thing in our culture. Um, before I get into it, let me say only, I, this is not, I'm not on some war path against New Year's resolutions. Okay, there's nothing wrong with wanting to improve and grow, explore, get in shape, get your finances in order, and all of those things, those are good things. In fact, I would argue they're even a human spark from God, that, that we, we, we are creatures that want to uh, Achieve and do these things. There's nothing wrong with that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, New Year's Resolution, fine, great. I mean, there's a couple of things I'd like to accomplish this year, you know, whatever. What I want us to know, though, is New Year's Resolutions do not separate us from the reality of who we are. And they expose... Sometimes, like nothing else, uh, they expose our desire, our addiction to self-justification. Because underneath every New Year's resolution is a promise that if I can just do blank, then... My life will have significance. Then my life will have meaning. Then I'll have validation. If I can get my finances in order, then I'll, then I'll be able to sleep peacefully at night. If I can get the scale to say what I want it to say, then I won't feel like I'm, I'm not attractive. If I can just If I can just get my kids to behave, if I can just do all of these things. Whatever New Year's resolutions you hear or see, they're really no different than any other attempt than us looking in the mirror and saying... If I can do this, then I will find this. Um, it's subtle. It's very, very subtle. Um, this is, I saw this article uh, from the Associated Press, um, you know, whatever that is now. Um, <laughs> but this was an article from a social psychologist. He said it's, a, it's, it's an annual end-of-the-year exercise. Now, this is as secular as it gets, but this, this will ring true. It's an annual end-of-the-year exercise in futility for many. Listen to this. But a clean slate awaits at the stroke of midnight for the next round of resolutions. From the first spray of fireworks to the closing chorus of all Lang Syne, 366 days into the future... 2024 is a leap year. It could be the year for finally achieving long, elusive goals, for fulfilling aspirations, and being resolute on all those New Year's resolutions. As humans... Omid Futi he said, we are creatures that aspire. He's a social psychologist and a motivation expert, whatever that is. The fact that we have goals, the fact that we want to set goals, is just a manifestation of the internal and almost universal desire to want to stretch and go further. New Year's resolutions are one of the ways in which we do that. Listen to this sentence. This is secular. This is this is this the promise of the world. There's something very liberating About a fresh start. Imagine starting on a blank canvas. Anything is possible. Now, doesn't that feel empowering to you? Don't you like that? I mean, doesn't your flesh like that? I mean, I'm married with four kids. I I look for like clean slates every day, you know? Like, I would like to apologize again, Alicia. I'm sorry I was such a jerk again. I'm sorry that Daddy yelled. I mean, like clean slates promise things to us. It makes us feel in charge and in control. And the church plays right into that. The Christian church... I'm not even talking to... I'm talking to Christians today. The gospel is for you and for me today. We play... The church plays right into that because the promise of a clean slate, the promise of a fresh start, is so empowering. Why? Because it puts us squarely in the cockpit of our justification. Which is where, according to Genesis chapter 3, we are addicted to sitting. And New Year's resolutions expose... To us, um, that desire, that longing, that longing to transcend that 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 desire to feel that god shaped heart, you see the enemy wants us to believe the lie of yes gospel, but or Yes, gospel and. My performance, my morals, my vote, my political affiliation, my kids, my reputation, my portfolio. All of these things. And see, you and I, at the end of the day, can't keep these things. That's why... One of these days, I'm going to preach about um, exhaustion. I've got one ready. That's why we're so tired because you and I spend our lives grabbing, grabbing for this worth and meaning. And, 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 and if I can just make it happen, then my life will be worth something. Uh, I'll mention this later. If you've not read the screw tape letters by C.S. Limit, mean, this is. Just, required reading for Christians. It should be. Um, there's a great line in there where this chief demon is training a, 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 a student demon of, of how to distract Christians and ruin them and all these things. And he said, you need to make them believe in Christianity and... Christianity and whatever. Your goal, he says, Wormwood, make them believe that mere Christianity is not enough. Well, when you and I walk down that road, I don't know um, if you are familiar with um, the, 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 in the 1700s, Samuel Johnson. He, he had a diary that he made New Year's resolutions every year. And see if this, uh, we're going to get to our points, but see if, this, see if you can relate to this. He wrote, "O oh Lord, enable me to redeem the time this year that I have spent in sloth. Last year. Nineteen years later, another entry. May God enable me to shake off the sloth and redeem the time misspent in sin and by diligent application of my days yet remaining. Finally, in 1775, 38 years after his first resolution, he wrote, When I look back upon resolution of improvement upon improvement and amendments which year after year have been made and broken, why do I yet try to resolve again? I hope that you can relate to that in some form or some fashion. What I want to see today, when I bring you to the end of that of that road, if you relate to that anyway, I want us to look at what Paul says here and recalibrate ourselves and look at three realities. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm not coming to you with some type of high and lofty word or wisdom. I'm not coming to you. The Lord knows He could have. It's one of my favorite things about Paul. And I won't get on a sidetrack. If there was a guy who had a, who had a reason to not be humble, Paul. I mean, like, it says in Philippians, I mean, I I was basically perfect. You know? I could have impressed anybody. But I'm not bringing to you a wisdom that men are going to want to hear. In other words, Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 2, I'm not bringing you New Year's resolutions. I'm not bringing you the promise of a clean slate. I'm not bringing that to you. You don't even need a clean slate. Why? Probably going to mess it up like Samuel Johnson. I'm bringing to you wisdom that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man could ever imagine what God has prepared. It's wisdom that only can come from the land beyond the Jordan. We just came from Christmas. In Isaiah 9, uh, he says that's a wonder counselor. Wonderful counselor. It's not an adjective. Wonderful, it's it's a He counsels wonder. He takes your breath away. When was the last time the gospel took your breath away? If it's been a while, it's probably because, if you're anything like me, you've kind of been spending time in your own press that, okay, I needed Jesus to take away, I needed needed my sins taken away, but now I've got it from here. The gospel is for you today, Christian. The gospel is for me today. So I want to look at three considerations in a lot of this. They're brief, quick. We probably get out early today. Who knows? I'll just play something longer to make up time. Um, when, you're, when you're prepping sermons, when you're, when you're sick, it's great. You're like, ah, it's good. Let's get to the end, right? Um, just kidding. Um, so... Three considerations. If you're going to come out this year, which I hope you do, and I'm going to try to do, uh, knowing nothing but Christ and Him crucified, what are three considerations? What are three realities then that bubble up to the surface? Because they're very practical. This is very practical living. If, you're, you, know, if, you, if, if you like sermons that tell you... you know, uh, there are, we are called to do a lot of things as Christians. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, the first thing is motivation. Point one: motivation. Here at Faith, the front of the bulletin says, "Rooted in the gospel, growing in grace." Well, what does that mean? What is the gospel? You know, we say that all the time. we're gospel music or gospel-centered. This. What is that? Uh, I chose that that quote from. I didn't bring a, a bulletin up here, but but Paul's all basically says, grace in the gospel is one-way love initiated. From God. It's a declaration. It's not an invitation. It's not a prescription. It's not a to-do list. It is a declaration done by God all for you, to you. You didn't... Here we go. It's like, you know... When you, you didn't make a decision to follow Jesus. He ran after you. He came to you. Right? It has nothing to do with the redeemed. It's completely the work and effort of the Redeemer. That's the gospel. Anything beyond that, what does Paul call that? He didn't have very nice things to say about it. Ignore it. The gospel is God's one-way love for you and me, separate our merit. It has nothing to do with what you've done, what you do. You didn't earn it. You can't lose it. It has nothing to do with you. Now, on the one hand, that sounds pretty good. But there's something offensive about that. Why? I heard one time, if you want to make sinners mad, preach law. If you want to make Christians mad... Preach the gospel because that tells us that we can't do anything. Well well now wait a minute. Do you remember Mark 8? You remember what happened in Mark 8? You know. What was trivia question next time you're doing your Bible games? What was the sentence that, that Jesus said to Peter? The, the next thing he directly said to him after he confessed him as the Christ the next thing he ended up saying to him was get behind me satan because peter had such a problem as he did for all of his life even into acts of hanging that righteousness of hanging that out he just the gospel is inherently offensive because it tells us that we this is not what we've done or what we do or what we've earned it's one way love So, you could rightfully say, as Christians, okay, Justin, well, what do you do then? Because you start talking like this, the first thing people start saying, not from outside the church, but from inside the church, is, oh boy, here we go. He's one of these antinomian, anti law, you could just live however you want, do whatever you want to do, it's just all grace, who cares? Well, first of all, I'm so sick of it, I don't even really acknowledge it anymore because it's not what anybody preaches or says. I guess there are some, but you know. It's only from the indicative of the gospel that you and I have any shot or any chance of doing any of these imperatives that we're called to do. Paul gives us, even later on in 1 Corinthians, in all of his writings, he gives us plenty of practical living things to do. There are things Christians should do. There are things Christians should not do. But where is that going to come from? Well, imperatives, imperatives minus indicatives, leave us with impossibilities. And your motivation, my motivation, to do the things that we're called to do, can only come when you're marinated... Day in and day out in the indicative of the gospel. Martin Luther said, I preach the gospel to my people every week because they forget it every week. Every single week. Paul never, never told any of his people to do anything without spending just copious amounts of time reminding them and reveling in the gospel. You know, in order to live the life that God calls us to live... To have gospel-motivated obedience. That can only come from faith in what Christ has done, not fear of what we need to do. It's problematic for us as sinners that God does not require any type of obedience. God requires perfect Obedience. It reminds me of Amos chapter 5. I love it. And for a musician, it really stings. What did God say? He's like, I, I don't want your fatted calves, I don't want your offerings. Stop singing your songs. I'm sick of hearing them. I want righteousness and I want judgment. That righteousness is pointing us to Christ and the gospel. It's only tethered to the gospel that any of your works, any of my works, are going to be received. You and I do not... I've heard so many people. all I do is to the glory of God. Friends, we don't get to define that. He is holy. It's only gospel motivated. Look, I can make my kids comply with guilt or threats. Those of you who don't have kids or have not been around young kids, you will never hear anything less sincere than the I'm sorry that comes after tell your brother you're sorry. I mean, she said it. I'm not interested in my kids complying. I'm interested in their hearts changing. And that's only going to come, you're only going to achieve that. I'm only going to achieve that when our hearts are first gripped and saturated in the gospel. Motivation is key for what you do. And as we go into this year, as we, as we seek to be rooted in the gospel, growing in grace, as we seek to disciple, as we seek to bring people in, you're going to have to do that with people that you don't want to do it with. Where's that going to come from? Where's that lasting motivation, that, that that fire that you know we sometimes talk about to want to... Where's that going to come from? It's going to come from knowing that Jesus has already secured everything for you so you can go give yourself away. I don't need anything. I don't have to have an apology. I don't have to have... This I don't don't need anything. I have everything that I need. He has secured everything for me. I could go out and blow it all day long, walk away, and just say, to heck with all of this, get smashed by an 18-wheeler on the way out of the stealing stuff from the store, and I would wake up in the arms of God, and if you're in Christ, he would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we're not bold enough to preach a scandalous gospel like that... You see, it's from that. See that? How can you? How can anybody think that a radical love like that is going to inspire laziness? In fact, it's the only way. Paul again, don't don't take my word for it. I'm just a piano player player with glasses. Paul even says it. You want people to act bad? I'm paraphrasing. You want them to. Do more licentious living? Hammer down on law. And you'll get, you'll get what you're after. It's only from the gospel. Motivation is key. Okay, I gotta move on. Point two. So motivation. In light of this, know nothing but Christ, being crucified. Our motivation, point number one. Point number two, identity. Um I have never seen, and I've turned forty on December the thirteenth. And by the way, somebody asked me the other day how it's been. It's been terrible so far. <laughs> and you want to know the truth? It's really kind of stunk. I, you know, um, I haven't felt good for most of it. I had a, I, you know, as a as a as an old late great professor, I had. Um, at JSU once said, it just kind of all turned 40 and everything went to Troy in a handbasket, you know. um, um, There's probably a Troy alumni in here. They're going to walk out and never come back. So, sorry. Um, (laughs) But I I, I, I put a lot of my identity in staying young. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm very vain. Um, And I really struggled with 30. And... um, I didn't have time to struggle with 40 because of, number one, the sickness and this, like, newborn. Um, You know, that really takes a lot of things away. Um, You're worried, but the world screams at us to locate our identity in thousands of different things infinitely smaller than Jesus. It permeates society. I teach college students for a living and, um, and I, it, is, it is a seminary class for me every day because I see it. Our little community college is, has joined a, just a consortium of, of, of mental health care for college students. Most big universities have urgent... I've said this before. Most urgent care... um, uh, Most big universities have urgent cares just for mental health on college campuses. That hurts me. You're supposed to be young and free. Well, why? Where does this come from? Well, because the world screams at us thousands of different ways to anchor our identity in something else other than Christ. Friends, that's the only reason... The world does it because the enemy wants us to anchor our identity in something else. Our work, our kids, our jobs, all of these. All these resolutions point to it. Point to all of these countless different things in countless different ways. There are good things that ultimately become bad things. Um, I've, I've I've been reading back through Job and, you know... At the end of chapter forty-two, um, he he says, "I've I've heard I heard about you with my ears." But he had been through suffering. He had seen all that he was anchoring his identity in. And in chapter forty-two, he says, "I've heard of you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes." He saw God for what He was. When you are united to Christ, you don't have to spend your life trying to secure your identity and meaning and worth because Jesus has already secured all of God's favor for you. Do you realize what that means? What would that do, if you're married, what would that do to your marriage? If you, could, if you just did nothing else in your life but get up every day and 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 focus your marriage in the fact that you don't have to secure identity your identity in your spouse and how your sp- how your spouse feels about you because God has secured all of Christ's excuse me Christ has secured all of God's favor for you and imparted it to you what would that do to your relationships what would that do to your life i'm free do you see the implications of this i mean i've I'm, I'm, as always, preaching more to myself because I, I, I spend so much of my time anchoring my identity in so many things. Years ago, I, uh, this has been over ten years ago, I, I write for marching bands around the country, if if you don't know that. Uh, and it's a sort of a side gig that t- turned into this never really thought it would turn into what it turned into and um, part of what uh, it's much easier now to do copyright clearance um, uh, there's a hub now it's super easy and done but before then there was not you, I just relied on the band director uh, and would send me paperwork and do it all long story short it was right for this group and, um, and signed all the, they, had, they had gotten their licenses well the 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 school secretary never mailed the payments in it was like October, and one morning, we get this email from like all these publishers and everything. And it was just very, I mean, everything ended up being okay because it was done. Something like, Long story short, but I remember feeling, I've built that writing business, and now it's under attack. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt your core identity ripped from your hands? What is that? Where does that come from? Well, how would you feel? How would I feel? How would your life feel if you never had to fight your, to, to secure your identity and your worth ever again? Think about how freeing that would be as we go into the new year. Well, if you're in Christ, as you sit here today, God the Father looks at you. Not only does He not see your sin. He sees Jesus' perfection. I mean, does that not just... There's your wonder, counsel. I've said some bad words today because I've been frustrated. I had to preach this morning. And I got up and I was like, okay, z packs going to be working today. I'm going to feel a bit better. And I got up and I was like, I'm like 88. I wanted to be in the 90s. You know? And i just... I rolled out of bed and stumped my toe and said a bad word. And I was like, I've got to preach this morning. <laughs> well, um, It's silly, but... You know... How free would your life be? Living a life... Listen. Living a life for, fav- for favor is slavery. The weight of the world on our shoulders... Real freedom is living a life from the favor we already have. And what Jesus has secured for you on your behalf. Number three, idolatry. So, so three considerations in light of going into this year with nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Well, okay, well, that's going to motivate us. That's our motivation. We look at our identity but lastly, this exposes some of our, all of our idolatry. John Calvin said that our hearts were are per, perpetual idol factories. We take good things and turn them into ultimate things and create idols out of them. This is, this is what uh, the screw tape letters went back to again. Jesus plus something, just not mere Christianity being enough. Um, this is from a, um, uh, a Presbyterian pastor named Donald Barnhouse of 10th Street Presbyterian. He once wrote uh, just a small little, little uh, paragraph of, of what Philadelphia would look like if Satan took over the city. And this is what he said. If Satan took over Philadelphia, all the bars would be closed. Pornography would be banished. And pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes sir and no ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where people listened to sermons where Christ was not preached. All of those things he mentioned before, good things. But they become idols because of who you and I are. As sinners in that first Adam. New Year's resolutions have a way of revealing these things. What does your heart go to? What are some of your idols? Think about it right now. What's the one like, what are some things in your life that you that are idols to you? That if that if they came crashing down. All your meaning, all your worth, all your validation is gone. I'll be honest with you, a lot of mine is my kids. It's weird when like Jack's report card comes in, in the the email. Like that, I feel like I'm on trial. Instantly. Why? Because that seven-year-old performing well and doing well is an idol for me. You know, I heard somebody say one time, you know, the kids are a terrible... Well, my, look, look, kids are the worst place to anchor your identity in idol. you ever seen, like, minnows out of a bucket? You ever seen that? You ever, like, spilled minnows out of a bucket? That's what anchoring your identity in your kids is like. Those minnows. They don't know. I heard somebody say one time, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child... See, that resonated. Kids are a terrible place. They're terrible things to make idols out of. What are some things in your life that this consideration of Christ and Him crucified only, it exposes our idolatry in such a way? What are the things that we look to to secure that worth and validation and meaning that only Jesus can do? What are those things? Marinate on those today. New Year's resolutions reveal, let's say this a couple of times, New Year's resolutions reveal a deep tension in our hearts that Jesus and only Jesus is the resolution for. New Year's resolutions, the need for New Year's resolutions reveals a tension in our hearts for which Jesus and only Jesus Is the actual resolution? I'm going to leave you. um, I have a tendency to probably read a little bit too much of other people's words, but um, this is so good as as we think about another year leaving and turning and a new one coming. This is from a British journalist named Malcolm Muggeridge. He wrote this towards the end of his life in the '80s. and And just let this sit and simmer uh, as as we as we go through um, the turning of a new year, we look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter revolutions, wealth accumulating and then and then dispersed, one nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of the rise and fall of the great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. In one lifetime, I have seen my own countrymen ruling over a quarter of the world, the great majority of them convinced, in the words of what is still a favorite song, that God who's made them mighty would make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian Hitler proclaim to the world the establishment of a German Reich that would last for a thousand years. An Italian clown, Mussolini, announced he would restart the calendar and begin his own assumption of power. A murderous Georgian, Stalin in the Kremlin, acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the Western world as wiser than Solomon, more enlightened than Ashoka, more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier in terms of military weaponry and more powerful than all the rest of the world put together so that Americans, had they so wished, could have outdone Alexander or Julius Caesar in the range and scale of their conquest. All in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. England, now a part of an island off the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead and remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime he helped found and dominate for some three decades. America now haunted by fears of running out of the precious fluid that keeps the motorways, motorways roaring and the smog settling with troubled memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and of the great victories of the Don Quixotes, of the Media, when they charge the windmills of Watergate all in one lifetime, all in one lifetime gone, gone with the wind behind the debris of these solemn supermen and self-styled imperialist diplomats there stands the gigantic figure of one because of whom, by whom, and in whom and through whom alone mankind may still have peace the person of Jesus Christ I present him as the way, the truth And the life. As the years come and the years go, I said I wasn't going to do a song lyric grant, and here comes one. I'll borrow it from Peter Gabriel. Jesus is the resolution, Christians, to all of your fruitless searches. We talked at the beginning about a clean slate. You, You don't have a clean slate in Christianity. Did you know that? You don't have a clean slate in Christianity. You have something much better. You have Jesus' perfect slate given to you. It's not your resolve that holds you to Him. It's His his resolve that keeps Him to you. You don't need a fresh start. You have a new life. You don't need a second chance. You have a second Adam. You are not deciding to follow Him. He is running after you. And it's from that reality. It's from His resolution. I like titles with double meanings. The title of this sermon was Resolution. We talked about resolutions and we talked about your resolutions. But what you need to leave here today is that because of what Jesus has done for you, the love and security and validation and favor of of God the Father are resolute to you. Neither height nor depth, nothing in heaven or hell can take it away. That is where you live every day. So when you walk out of here today and drop the ball and screw your resolutions up and do the same sin and and, and are mean to your kids, mean to your spouse and grumpy and don't feel good, stop in that moment and say, the God of the universe, because of what Jesus has done for me loves me sees only Jesus perfection nothing can take that away what will that do to your identity and your motivation those idols the things of the earth will go strangely dim man stuff will just stop mattering because Jesus was strong for you it's okay to be weak when you need to be weak Because Jesus won for you, you can lose and not forfeit one bit of your identity. Because Jesus succeeded for you, your failures don't define you. And He's never letting go. Never a thought. Take that into this new year um, and once again be moved and hopefully changed by the reality of His amazing grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity to come uh, preach uh, Your gospel. Uh, Thank You, Father, that it's Your resolution for us uh, that holds us together and holds all things together. Father, we would be lost and, and lonely and without any hope were it not for this amazing grace that you lavish us with. We thank you, Father, and we ask you to be with us. Let your Spirit guide us for those things that I can't, can't see or, ear, or, or ear, hear or our minds can comprehend as we go into this year. Be near us. Have your Spirit guide us and remind us of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Justin, for preaching this morning, for reminding us, setting the stage for this new year as we um, are reminded that really we are completely loved and secure in Christ. Um, all the other things that we look to, to justify, to bring us peace and joy, they can't do it. Um, the, the passage said that Paul came to preach nothing but, but Jesus, and here when we come to the table as brothers and sisters in christ that 's what we 're reminded of. We have Jesus, he knew we would forget, he knew we would struggle, he knew we would look after look to other things, but that 's why he 's gave us this this sacrament to draw our attention back to what we really need. We come with without money, we come with nothing, we come. To the table, and we receive uh, uh, through through faith, spiritually speaking, the body, the blood of Christ. Um, It's a outward sign of a of a spiritual reality. Christ has given Himself for you, and if you trust Him, then He's enough. He has you. He saved you. His righteousness is enough. His His cross is enough. His resurrection is enough. And and uh, it's our it's our help. In the present, it's our it's our it's our foundation. Now is this gospel, and it's our it's our it's our hope for eternity. Is this gospel, and so um, He has done it. He has finished. Um, he has done the work of redemption. We're secure now in Him, and will be, and we will get to enjoy Him forever and ever. In glory. So brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are a member in good standing at a gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church, we invite you to come and partake of, of these elements, this Lord's Supper. If you are not, if you are um, not a Christian, not a, haven't gone through that, haven't been baptized, we ask you to refrain. Um, not because we don't love you, don't want you to come, don't want you to draw near to Christ, but he tells us or warns us not to eat and drink of this meal in an unworthy manner. Um, and so we want to ask you to take time and pray and think about what you've heard. This God who's, who is enough. This God who has resolved to love you and never let you go. So um, if you are new here, I want to tell you how we do this. Uh, we uh, invite these first three sections to come forward to this table. The back section over here to go back and receive the elements from those elders. And this back section to go to that table. And so um, we'll go uh, and they'll direct you how to... How to come forward and we get both elements and sit down and we take them together. So with that said, let us partake of the Lord Jesus Christ by faith.